Welcome to the Hill City Church Podcast. We are a church family located in Springfield, Missouri. You can learn more about us and support our ministries at hillcitysgf.org. We are starting a new book of the Bible today, the book of Ecclesiastes. It's my favorite in the Old Testament. If you have a Bible open to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to begin at the beginning in Ecclesiastes, yeah, whatever that book is, chapter one. Chloe's one of our college leaders. She's going to read our passage for us today. Ecclesiastes, gosh, I can't even say that. Help me out. Help Ecclesiastes. Me out. Thank you. There you go. <laughs> Okay, if you could turn your Bibles, um, Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 15. I'm just going to use this. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who will come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out wisdom, all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. Thank you cheery passage of scripture from your Bible. I love Ecclesiastes. So I was a young boy, probably nine or ten years old, watching my normal assortment of Saturday morning cartoons that would finalize with NBA inside stuff with the Madri shot. Anyone here? <laughs> like six of you, yeah, yeah. The, the culmination of the morning. And somewhere in the middle of that show, came on the commercials, and in this commercial was a commercial that captivated my young heart. It was a commercial for a remote-controlled truck. It was red. And in the commercial, you got the two kids, and and they're taking this truck, and they're ramping it, and the the truck's ramping, and it's doing a flip in the air, like a, 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 yeah, landing. They're going around corners. It's throwing dirt everywhere, and my heart said, that will be mine. Only $59.99. And in my young heart, I set my mind and my passions to have that truck. I started saving money. I don't know where I got it. I probably saw some laying around and started collecting it. And finally, I asked my parents. They said, no, they're not going to buy it for me. I had to get it. So I worked. I worked. I saved. Birthday, Christmas, saved. Finally, the day come when I had enough money to go to the Walmart 
and buy this truck. I remember it like it was yesterday. Walking into the Walmart, and there it is on the end cap was this remote-controlled truck. And I remember looking at the box thinking, that looks smaller than what I had picked. Because I'm picturing, you know, like this big, we're going to ramp. Like in the meantime, while I'm saving money, I've built a ramp in my backyard. Like I am ready. And so I, I get this box, get the truck, go to the Walmart, go pay at the cash register, get home, open up my treasure. And it has a cord attached to it that goes all the way to the remote control. It's not a wireless remote-controlled truck like all of the cool images in the commercial told me. It was a corded remote-controlled truck that had about a 10-foot cord. I could walk at this pace and follow along with this remote-controlled truck. It got up to my ramp, and instead of jumping off the ramp, it just kind of plopped over the ramp. The biggest letdown of my little life. And here's what Ecclesiastes will tell you. Life is just like that truck. It's one big letdown. Man, I'm glad I came to church today, aren't you? Look what he says to begin this book. It says the words of the preacher. So this book, Ecclesiastes, is written by a writer who's different than the, the speaker. So it introduces you to this teacher or preacher. Most people think this is King Solomon, the, Sol- the king that came after David, David's son. And it's collected, all of his teachings are collected by a writer. And this writer introduces us to this idea that life is one big letdown. Now, if you know Ecclesiastes, it falls in the middle of your Old Testament with the wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, there's these collections of wisdoms, of poem, and Psalm, or Ecclesiastes finds, is, is right there in the middle. Now, Proverbs is one of those two. And here's what Proverbs does. Proverbs tells you life will make sense. Proverbs will say this, if you do X, Y will happen. Ecclesiastes says, yeah, right. Here's what Proverbs says about children. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Young parents, everyone, amen? Oh, oh, honey, that's our life first. Here's what Ecclesiastes tell you. You're going to work as hard as you can, and you're going to die, and your child will come up after you, and they will blow all of your money. Ecclesiastes 2.18, here's what he says. I hated all of my work, my toil, which I toiled under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me, and who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will be the master of all I have worked for. See, Proverbs is the optimist book of the Bible. Ecclesiastes, it's the pessimist. How many pessimists we have in the room? Come on. Be proud. You're going to love Ecclesiastes. How many people like, oh, I'm an optimist about life? Raise your hand. You're going to hate this book. You're going to hate it. Proverbs tells you do X, Y will happen. Ecclesiastes says, no, you do X all you want. It may not happen the way you think. Here's what happens is you follow Proverbs and Ecclesiastes is the result. 
you follow Proverbs and run an honest business, and then COVID hits and you lose it. Proverbs, you follow Proverbs and it says, save your money, invest your money, and good things will happen when you do that, and then you retire and the stock market crashes. Proverbs says there's a way, young people, there's a way to do relationships, and if you do it this way, then you'll have a great relationship, and Ecclesiastes happens, and you still lose the relationship. Like Emily and I, half one of our staff members, we saved up for years to purchase a car with cash. It was a goal of ours. We didn't want to take a loan. We're going to purchase with cash. We saved up, purchased this thing with cash, and then two months later, the hybrid battery goes out, $2,500. That's Ecclesiastes. See, here's what Ecclesiastes will do, and this is why I love it. It will shake up our neat and tidy version of this world. It will shake up your neat and tidy version of your church, of your family, of your marriage. If you like neat and tidy, stick with Proverbs. But if you want to get in the gray, in the mess, join us in Ecclesiastes. Because there's something very beautiful in it. Here's what Ecclesiastes will do. The writer, the teacher. He will deconstruct your life. And invite you to question everything. Question it all. What do I spend my money on? My time on? My thoughts on? What direction am I going? It will invite you to question it all. And then ask the question about every part of your life. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And he's going to seem like he's a, he, he's a jerk. He's going to seem like he wants to give you no hope. But actually, if you will let the teacher teach you, he will give you a lot of hope. And he might just save your life. He will expose how much time we, I, spend our lives on things that have no lasting significance whatsoever. And he will begin over the courses of this book to invite us to something different. Verse 2, here's what he says, the teacher's philosophy of life from Ecclesiastes. Here we go. You ready for this coffee cup verse? Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you have the, ES, or the NIV, it'll say this, meaningless. Meaningless. Life is meaningless. What a philosophy of life. Life is meaningless. See, there are lots of philosophies of life. We have all kinds of writers and poets and authors who are giving us philosophies of life. This philosophy of life will, will start with meaningless. Here, here's some other philosophies. This comes from the Dalai Lama. The purpose of our lives is to be happy. That's a philosophy. Here's one of my favorite singer-songwriters, James Taylor, says, the secret of life is enjoying the passing of time. There's a philosophy of life. This new philosophy in our new age is all about loving yourself. Here's an artist, J. Cole, who I have no idea who that is. Love yourself, girl, or nobody will. The, the intern, the residents gave me that one. I was like, guys, I need, because all of my examples are from like 20 years ago. I was like, I need something recent. So, one of my favorite philosophies of life, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Probably the most accurate of all of them. 
Here's the teacher's philosophy of life. It's what gets translated to us as vanity or meaningless. It's a Hebrew word called hevel. If any of you want to get a tattoo, you maybe do the Hebrew letters in there. Hevel. Hevel is this word that we get translated meaningless or vanity. And it's a very difficult word for people to translate because we don't have a word that's quite like this word hevel. Some, some other places this might be used in Hebrew writing would be a vapor, temporary, fleeting, absurd, problematic. It's a difficult word. Think, when you think of hevel, think of a cloud. Picture a big puffy cloud in the sky. From the ground, it looks so dense, right? It looks like you could just grab a hold of it, like you could tie it up until you fly through it. And then you see it's nothing. Here is my best shot at Hevel. And that's your life. That's what the teacher says. Here is the reality of life. It's here and it's gone. And it looks like it has substance, but the minute you try to grab it, you find it has none. It's hevel. And so the teacher is going to ask this philosophical question. What does man gain by all of the work that we do, by all the stress and the pressure and the focus that we do on this earth. What do we gain? Hevel. It's gone. Nothing. Because here's the reality of life. Tomorrow morning is going to be the same thing that you've done for years and years and years. Um, the balcony, what happens tomorrow morning? Your alarm goes off at 7 a.m. You hit snooze, give yourself 10 more minutes. You finally get up out of bed, you take a shower, you brush your teeth. You, guys, you do a quick glance in the mirror, I'm good. You go out to the kitchen, you scarf down a quick breakfast, you kiss your wife and your kids goodbye, and you drive the same route to work. On your way, you stop and get a cup of coffee, you get to work, you show up, you send a few emails, you hop into that 10 a.m. meeting that you hate, that you sit there and text other people in the middle of, pretend you're paying attention, you get back, you do another work for another hour or two, then you go to lunch, have the same old lunch you do every day, you go back to work, you grind it out for the afternoon. On your way home from work, if you're good today, you're going to stop by the gym, you're going to do a few burpees, you're going to put it on Instagram so everyone's seeing that you've done a few burpees. Then you're going to drive on back home. You're going to eat the same dinner you always eat. You're going to talk to your wife. You're going to kiss your kids goodnight, pray for them, tuck them to bed, go to sleep, and wake up the next day and do it all again. Anyone? Hevel. I'm going to quote a lot of musicians and artists during this uh, during this series on Ecclesiastes, one of the things I love about musicians, sometimes they're the, the, they're the ones that have the most integrity. They'll tell us how it is. They'll, they'll shoot us straight. Here's a quote, again, my generation, by Dave Matthews. He says this, He wakes up in the morning, does his teeth, a bite to eat, and he's rolling. He never changes a thing. The week ends, the week begins. Hevel. He compares, them to, he compares humans to ants. 
He says, and all the little ants are marching. Red and black antennas waving. We all do it the same. We all do it the same. Dave Matthews is speaking of this reality of hell. That there is a monotony to life that we do the same thing over and over and over, but nothing really changes. So the writer of Ecclesiastes begins to get this thought in your mind. If this is all life is, what a letdown. But if this is all life is, maybe there's something more. There's a phrase he'll use. He's it 28 times with the book of Ecclesiastes. It's the phrase, under the sun. So he'll say, life is heaven. Life is vanity. Under the sun. When you read the phrase, under the sun, I want you to think, our world as we know it. This broken world where life is meaningless. There's the same rhythm that happens. People do the same thing. This reality is under the sun is life outside of the Garden of Eden. See, God created us to have fellowship and meaning and purpose in Him. Humans rebelled, and because of their rebellion, now this reality is there is an under the sun that we live in. When you see under the sun, this is life out of the garden. Life apart from meaning and significance and purpose in God. It's life from an earthly perspective. So hope you're starting to get a little glimpse. Okay, maybe this isn't as hopeless as it all sounds. Life is vanity. Because he's going to make a, an important point. No, life is heaven under the sun. Life is heaven trying to make sense of life here with what I see. And when man rebels in the garden, see, they have perfection and upon their rebellion, God pronounces to Adam, upon the sweat of your brow will you live in this earth. It's heaven. So the writer sees what we were created for and in perfection, beauty, God's goodness, God's glory. And because of our rebellion, now he sees the world that we live in. And he says, under the sun, it's heaven. The sun will bake you. Eddie Vedder, again, my generation, in his song, Hard Sun, says it like this. There's a big hard sun beating on the big people in a big hard world. That's the right of Ecclesiastes. He's going to say, listen, under the sun, this world under the sun that we live in, it will beat you down. So if you're looking for meaning and purpose here, life will be one big letdown. That rhymed. If you're looking for life under the sun, you will be on an endless treadmill. See, here's what every one of us do under the sun. We say the following phrase, and we say it a hundred times a day. If only. Anyone? If only I had dot, dot, dot. If only... You said it this morning. If only I could sing like Darrell. If, girls, if only I could sing like Emma. If we say it over and over and over. Like what he's going to expose is that the human heart that we all believe, if we only had blank, then somehow meaning, significance would come to this life. Anyone? 
And what he'll tell you is right now, you have things that 10 years ago you said if only, and here you are right now, and you're still saying if only, looking another 10 years down the road. Under the sun, life is hevel. So Solomon dares you to ask serious questions about your life and to look at your life and say, does it have any substance? Does it have anything besides this? Verse 4, he go, he, he's going to explain himself, how he comes to this conclusion. Verse 4, a generation goes, generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, the sun goes down, and it hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around the wind goes, and it circles until the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is never full. To the place where its streams flow there they flow again. Here's what he's doing. He's, he's pointing to creation to show you how mundane life is. The sun rises. It falls. And rises and falls. The wind blows. And it's going to make a big circle. And it's going to blow again. The streams are going to run. And they're going to run to the ocean, but the ocean never fills up. He's pointing to creation to show you that your life is a mundane cycle that just keeps going and going and going, and then you die. That's life. Here's what Romans, Paul says it in like this. He explains it in Romans 8.20. For creation was subjected to futility. When humans rebelled, creation got stuck in this meaningless cycle. Hevel. Not willingly, but because of him, man who subjected it, and hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Here's what the Bible teaches. That creation itself longs to get out of heaven. It longs to be out of this monotony that it's in, that there's something about the way God ordained and when he created the world, there is something flourishing about that that is different now. And even creation itself longs to be set free from the hevel, the vanity, the meaningless sense of life. He goes on, he'll tell you, a generation comes and it goes, but the earth remains forever. Can I tell you a hard truth? When you die, creation could care less. The sun will rise just like it did. The rivers will flow. The wind will blow. Creation will not stop when you take your last breath. See, part of the gift of Ecclesiastes, it's going to invite us to do something that in America we don't like to do. Think about death. America, like we, we as a culture are distanced from death. Go back 100, 200 years ago, we would see death everywhere. We don't see it now. We don't see death. And Ecclesiastes will invite you to think about the reality of death, not to depress you, but actually to help you live better. Your life, your life, it's a vapor. That's it. You're gone. And the creation, the world, will not care when you're gone. If we're going to be honest, 
nor will anyone else. Yeah, they'll have a few loved ones that'll cry, and they'll go to a funeral, and they'll talk, and then they'll go to lunch, and they'll talk about the chiefs. Let's do this. Uh, on the count of three, I want everyone to participate. I want you to say your name on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. On the count of three, I want you to say your father's name. Ready? One, two, three. Okay. Count of three, your grandfather's name. One, two, three. Okay. Great-grandfather. One, two, three. Ah, oh, you hear it getting quieter? Great-great-grandfather. One, two, three. How quickly? Here's what Ecclesiastes will tell you. I just gave you a beautiful gift. That's what it'll tell you. Now, I know that's a little depressing. Man, you're talking my children's children. Yeah. Yeah. You're gone. Verse 8. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear, ear filled with hearing. Man can never stop our quest for happiness because as soon as we get what we want, we say, if only. If I just had something else. The I will never be satisfied. Whatever this week you thought, if I could just have this, the writer of Ecclesiastes will tell you, get it, and in a few months, you'll want something different. That's why when the new iPhone comes out, there's a line around the block. And that line around the block was there for the iPhone they're getting ready to get rid of. The eye is never satisfied. Every week, the preacher is going to invite you to tell yourself, whatever I think I need, it won't give me what I think it will give me. It won't. And the list goes on and on, and depending on our stage of life, it's going to be different things, but it won't give it to you. One of my favorite quotes, when I work, I work with a football team at Missouri State, I talk about this every year with them. Um, I apologize to all the Chiefs fans because I'm going to have to use a, a, a center for this illustration. Um, but it's Tom Brady, okay? And he is a, a heathen. No, he transferred teams, so he's all right now. He's all right now. Uh, it's an interview with Tom Brady, and he'd won a few Super Bowls, won the MVP, and it's one of my most favorite interviews that I've seen a performer or an or a artist or someone do that's in fame. I want you to listen to what he says in light of Ecclesiastes. Did you hear what his question? He even said it. God, there's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I don't know. He already told us the answer. What do you think you need? 
Bigger house, nicer vehicle, new wife, new husband, a wife, a husband. Don't you dare think that will fix anything. Do <laughs> well, I got married people in this crowd? <laughs> I'm going to try one more time, married people. Don't you dare think that'll fix anything. Okay. Verse 9. What has been will always be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. If there is a thing of which it is said, oh, this is new, and it's already been done ages before. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things, yet to be among those who come after. Here's what he says. There's nothing new under the sun. If you have an idea, it's already been done. Well, that's not true because Zuckerberg created Facebook and that went around. It's just a new form of communication. And it made us so much more connected and unified, right? <laughs> it's what he's saying. There's nothing new under the sun. You can create a new form of transportation, communication, food. It, it's all been done before. It's not going to change a thing. Life will be just as mundane as it always is. There's no new songs to be written. We've heard every love song there ever is. We've heard every pop country song about a pickup truck and a dirt road we could ever hear in our lifetime. There's nothing new under this. Perfect example, romantic comedies. Can I go on a tangent real quick? I hate them. There has never been a new romantic comedy in the history of romantic comedies. They are all exactly the same. Two people meet. They have nothing in common. One owns a big bookstore. One owns a small bookstore. They hate each other. And then something happens. And at first they don't like each other. And then something happens. Oh, it clicks. And then the music changes. And oh, and they start falling in love. And they do all these great things. And then it always goes wrong. Right? Always goes wrong. And then the music goes gloomy. And he's standing on the window looking out. And it's raining. He's thinking about walking down the sidewalk with the girl. And she's over there thinking. And, and you're like, oh, no. They're not going to get back together. <laughs> and then... He decides at the last minute, I'm going to go get the girl. So he climbs to the top of the Eiffel Tower, or he rides on a motorcycle through New York City taxi streets and gets there. He goes to the gate of the airplane right before, is he going to make it? Of course he's going to make it. <laughs> and they all end the same way. Do I have anyone that says amen on romantic comedies being meaningless? Gosh. Here's what he said. History repeats itself. There's nothing new. A generation comes, a generation goes, they do the same thing. Nations will always be at war. They will find peace, and then a new generation comes, and they will be at war again. An entire new generation of sons will go off to war, and an entire new generation of moms will bury their sons. Look at world history. I don't know if anyone likes to read biographies. Anyone? Biographies of old dead people? You need to. Here's one of the gifts of biographies. You can read all of the stressors of their life, the things they fought for and argued about and hated each other for, and you can look and be like, really? And then if you're wise, we'll look in the mirror and say, maybe what I'm stressing about doesn't really matter. Maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's Hevel. Verse 12, 
I, the preacher, have been king over Jerusalem. I've applied my heart to seek out and to search with wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. And I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. Here's what he says. I, the teacher, with wisdom, I'll talk about that next week, have tried to make sense of this world. What's done under heaven, what's done under the sun, and the result of all of my years of study and research Here's what I found. Everything done under the sun, it's hevel. And he, and he says a hard passage here. He says, it's an unhappy business that God had given the children of man to be busy with. And we can read that and be like, well, what? God gives us unhappy, God just wants us to have this awful, meaningless, unhappy life? No. When he says all that God has given us under the sun, he's taking us back to Genesis. God creates the world perfect. Humans rebel against that. And so God says, okay, you're going to get what you want. You want life on your terms? Have it. Here's, here's Genesis 3, 17. He said to Adam, God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten the tree, which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. God's plan was not hevel. God's plan was flourishing. Humans brought hevel in. So he says, curse is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. The design of God was flourishing. The result of man's rebellion was hevel. And that's what Solomon sees. He says, under the sun, this reality of living in life, it's heaven. It's meaningless. Let's wrap up. Verse 15. What is crooked cannot be made straight. Is what is lacking cannot be counted. Here's what he will tell you. And please hear me. Life under the sun will never be straightened out. The hope of life under the sun is not your politician winning in November. And a new generation of politicians will come, oh, I'm going to fix it all. No, they're not. They're not. Life will still be crooked. Here's what Ecclesiastes will teach you. Corrupt man cannot improve the lot of corrupt man. The answer is not going to be inside of us that I need to do something to straighten out this world. That's not going to be the answer. See, the book contains really bad news if you're trying to make sense of life here under the sun. If you're trying to find your meaning, your purpose, your happiness under the sun, here's what he tell, will tell you. It is meaningless. You will search all the days of your life and you will die old and bitter having never found it. This teacher will not lie to us about the reality of life. He won't lie to you about the reality of being a Christian. Any person that ever tells you, just follow Jesus and everything will be great. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. There's a word for it I can't say. It's wrong. And Ecclesiastes will never tell you that. 
And a matter of fact, it'll say you can follow Christ and love him and follow him and you may end up in the Colosseum getting torn apart by lions. It will not lie to us, which is so important because if you have this view of God wants me to be happy, when you're not, you will curse God. God, I did everything you ever asked me to and this is what I get. And God's saying, did you not read Ecclesiastes? Did you not read it? This teacher, he will challenge what you and I hope for. He will challenge what we dream about. He will challenge what we love to save our life. And this book is going to seem bleak at times. We haven't got going yet. There will be days you're like, I just want to leave and go eat a bag of potato chips. But this book is not without hope. It just wants to point your hope in a different direction. Do you hear me? It wants to point your hope away from if only to it is finished. See, the Bible, it's a tale of two kingdoms. Because if life under the sun isn't it, maybe there's something greater. Maybe there's something greater than what's under the sun. And the Bible is a tale of two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of the world under the sun, and it's the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom is one of Jesus' favorite topics to talk about. Go read the Gospels. He loved talking about the kingdom. Hey, the Bible's a tale of two kingdoms. And Solomon, the writer, is going to expose the reality of the kingdom of the world and say, it will lie to you. It will tell you that it has everything you could ever offer. That the secret of life is to be happy. But there's another kingdom. There's a different kingdom. And he'll begin to point us to that kingdom that goes on forever. Here's what he'll say about the kingdom of the earth. It will vanish. It will disappear. It will be no more. But there is a new kingdom that is coming. And as Jesus says, has now come. See, if you listen to Ecclesiastes, you'll see there's actually two kingdoms. And how I live my life. I can live my life focused on this kingdom. Or I can live my life focused on another kingdom. One, he promises vanity. One, he promises meaning. Flourishing. He will challenge your direction. Here's how. Remember the last verse 15? Nothing will be made straight. It's all crooked. Here's what Jesus says. Or about Jesus, Luke 3, 5. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. Here's what Jesus says, I am bringing a kingdom that will make straight what was crooked. So to believers, the rite of Ecclesiastes and then Jesus offers you, invites you to hope of a new kingdom, not a better kingdom here. See, it's the new kingdom we're invited into. Not if only, but the new kingdom says instead of acquiring lots of wealth and just give it to your kid who's going to blow it on sports cars and boats, what if we give it into doing what God loves? Instead of Having servants and slaves, which Solomon will write about, the new kingdom flourishing is found in being a servant. 
Instead of treasure here, boy, we have treasure, don't we? Storage units, we drove them, we got tre- Instead of tre- treasure here, what if we had treasure for a different kingdom? Under the sun, the motto is, whoever dies with the most toys wins. The new kingdom says, if you want to find your life, lose it. It's opposite. The new kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And so Ecclesiastes will say, maybe we should stop looking for satisfaction under the sun and be pointed to a different kingdom of that who is over the sun. And it points us to our Savior. Jesus is the perfect example of Ecclesiastes. He who knew no sin, who followed Proverbs exactly, who loved others, who served others, was crucified. Ecclesiastes. But God, in the midst of what looked like chaos, was doing something to bring many sons and daughters to glory. See, he'll point us not to a kingdom here and trying to make sense of life here, but to pull our perspective out to see from a different way and say God is working in the midst of the mess to bring a new kingdom, and he would invite us into that. I'm going to encourage you, read Ecclesiastes this week. Sit down and read it. Try to do it in one setting. Take 30 minutes. Read the whole thing as we begin as a community, believers together, to journey through this over the course of the fall. Let's pray together.